0: Listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your App Store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on Couragematters.com.
1: In a moment, we're going to get to Luke chapter seven, but before we do, I want to make a statement that I hope you can identify with. If you've truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, truly, if you've truly given your life to Jesus Christ and you're living a surrendered life, you're going to have multiple opportunities in the course of any given week to share the gospel with other people. If you've truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the natural overflow, or I should say the supernatural overflow, is that you share the great news with other people because God is not willing that anyone perish but all come to a knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Master. And Lord and God. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, obviously the supernatural overflow of that is you're going to be telling other people about the greatest story ever to tell that Jesus Christ forgives sin, that God sent His only Son, His uniquely brought forth Son, into this world so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. The overflow of knowing Jesus and walking in surrender with Jesus is that you're telling other people the story of the gospel. Now, if you've done that for any length of time, if you've been walking in surrender with Jesus, if you've been walking and looking for opportunities to share the gospel with other people, you eventually have come across at least one or two people. And if you haven't yet, it's going to happen. I'm telling you. You've come across somebody who says, well, why didn't Jesus, if it was that important and he was such an important person and he was not just a person, but he was God in the flesh and truly the Savior, that he's the only way through which people can have forgiveness of sins, why didn't Jesus clearly say it? Why didn't he just say it in the language that we could understand? You ever come across somebody who said that? I've come across people who have said that, people who have thought that. Maybe you're thinking that today. You're thinking, well, why didn't Jesus just come out and say in black and white? white terms that people could understand who he was so that we understand who he is today in 21st century life. Well, the problem is not that God needs to speak our language, but that we need to understand his And when we look at our Father's word today, you will leave here having a clearer understanding that Jesus did things and said things so that it was absolutely unmistakable. He was intentionally being mind-blowing with the things he said and the things he did so that the people in his day would clearly understand what he was saying and what he was doing and the ramifications and the significance of who he is. And so that today in the 21st century, we could still understand if we take a look at the Bible, the word of God, as we're going to do in just a second, if we take a prolonged look at that profound book, we're going to understand with great clarity, tremendous clarity that Jesus was deliberate. He was intentional. He wanted the people in his day to have their minds blown. And he wants people today in the 21st century to have their minds blown as well. Now, I've taken the liberty, Today, knowing the importance of this particular passage of Scripture, I've taken the liberty of inviting some additional medical professionals, some doctors, and some emergency medical technicians to be here in our midst with defibrillators. Because if you don't understand more clearly today who Jesus is, after we look at our Father's word, you are either not paying attention, or you're asleep, or worse yet, your heart stopped beating. Now, if you're in one of those situations, we need to zap you and to wake you up. We need to get you to come to life again so that you understand what our Father's Word is saying. And we're gonna begin today in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Turn with me in our Father's Word. Before we get to Luke chapter seven, we're gonna begin with the Old Testament because you need to understand what's being said here. Now, the scriptures say in Numbers chapter 12, verse three, That Moses was a very meek man, a very humble man, more humble, more meek than anybody else on the face of the earth. I don't think it's a coincidence that God used this humble man to bring the law to our attention. The whole Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the 614 commandments, the do this and don't do that, all of that stuff, the law was given through Moses. I don't think it's a coincidence that God used a humble man, Moses, to do that. And it's Moses, when we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, who says this, sent by God. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. A strong warning from God. There is to be a distinction and a difference between God's people and the people of the world. If you have to wear a t-shirt to tell people that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, something's askew with your witness. Defibrillators, defibrillators, the emergency medical technicians, are you ready? There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. You know, that's some of the things that the people, the pagan people would do. They would offer a sacrifice to their gods by literally giving their sons or daughters and burn them as a sacrifice to try to appease them should not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, Listen to fortune tellers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. You see, the problem that they had then is the same problem we have today. Everybody wants wisdom. Everybody wants to know the future. Everybody wants to have insight into how they should live their life. If you're into finances or if you lost a great chunk of your 401k or your retirement account, you're struggling now with trying to figure out where's the best place to invest your money. Where's the best place? Probably your mattress. Where do I make the best investment? What's the decision that I need to make in the future? Right now I'm struggling with something. I need wisdom, I need insight, you gotta go somewhere. So what do the pagan people do? What do the people do who don't have the living and true God? They go to fortune tellers, they go to diviners, they go to people who can supposedly speak from the dead. We know that nobody comes back from the dead that God has ordained, from which you can get wisdom and insight, the only person that God has ordained who you should listen to who has come back from the dead is Jesus. And that's God himself, God in the flesh. And so the problem that they had back in Moses' day, God's people being led and taught by God himself through the prophet Moses, it's the same problem we struggle with today. We want insight, we want wisdom, we want knowledge, we want credibility of how we should make our decisions. The danger is that you have a plethora of choices of where you could go. You could go a multitude of places to get answers and insight or try to get answers and insight, but there's only one true fountain of wisdom and it's the living and true God. That's where you go to get your insight and your wisdom. And Moses is speaking on behalf of God, helping the people understand that there's the ways of the world and that there's the ways of God's people. And if you are going to be a follower of God, you need to follow God. You need to not follow the quote unquote wisdom of the world. You don't want to follow. You don't want to follow the quote-unquote wisdom and ways of the world. You want to follow the living and true God. And so God has spoken through Moses by saying, here's what you shouldn't do. Here's what you need to be careful of. And now in verse 15, God tells the people what they should do and what they should expect. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers it is to him you shall listen. Don't listen to the ways of the world. Don't listen to the fortune tellers and the necromancers and the people who are getting supposed wisdom from the world. You need to listen to the prophet from among you, from among your own people, the Jewish people. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. In other words, there is an accountability. You can't say, God told me, unless God really told you. Now, it happens all the time. God told me. People say, God told me. Do you understand that we cannot flippantly use the name of the Lord our God Do not vainly use the name of the Lord our God. If you say God told me, you better make sure that you know that you know that you know that God told me. It happens all the time. People say, well, God told me. And I don't know about you, but I'm not comfortable with following somebody else's alleged walk with God. Kowtowing, well, if God told you, I guess that's the end of the discussion. God is a God who confirms When he speaks. And we're going to see that again right here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. God is saying through Moses that if somebody gets up and says that they're speaking on my behalf, there's a way that you can know whether or not I am speaking through them or whether they are phony baloney. I know that we don't like phony baloney here in York, Pennsylvania. I know that. We like the real deal. Verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them and all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? How are we going to know whether this person is authentic, whether they're the real deal or phony? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So right there in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it was put into the spiritual DNA of the Jewish people. And we who have become descendants of Abraham through faith, giving our lives to Jesus Christ, are grafted in, spiritually speaking, to the people of Israel. It's in our DNA as well that we are to look for before you come to know Christ you are to look for somebody who is God's spokesperson the jewish people right then and there when moses spoke those words and then they were penned by moses or somebody on behalf of moses it's the word of god it got into the spiritual dna of the people that god himself would would send a prophet like Moses, somebody characterized by humility, somebody who would speak the very words of God the Father. God was going to send a prophet like Moses and it was to him that the people should listen. Right there, it was set into the DNA of the Jewish people that a savior was coming, a deliverer was coming because what was Moses? Not just a prophet, he was a deliverer. He brought the people out of Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Moses was God's chosen deliverer to rescue the people from human physical oppression. And so God is speaking through Moses, reminding the people that you will be delivered again. There will be a prophet coming after Moses who will deliver the people not from what they understood at that particular time. So that's what the Jewish people misunderstood during Jesus' time. They were expecting someone who would deliver the people from Roman oppression, from the problems of the physical life, the physical world, somebody who will be a deliverer in that regard. And many of them missed Jesus the first time around because they were looking for the wrong type of deliverance. Many of us have our eyes set on the wrong priorities. Your greatest need in life, the greatest priority in your life has to be the priority of God, and that is the removal of your sin, the forgiveness of your sin, that you need someone to deliver you. You need somebody bigger than you who's got bigger shoes that you can't fill to rescue you from the muck and the mire, the sin that you are stuck in. You need somebody like Moses, greater than Moses to come who's going to be God's spokesperson, who's going to take on your struggles, take on your sin, take on the need for your deliverance personally. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, we're told very clearly that God would one day be sending somebody who would be a deliverer. And if we read the whole council of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we see that they're all about this person This God, Jesus Christ. They all point to Jesus Christ. They all show us that God did send a deliverer. He did fulfill the promise of Deuteronomy chapter 18. And that promise is wrapped up in a package that was delivered in a manger. Grew up to be a man without one sin of any kind at all. Hung on a cross and on the cross looks out At All of those looking upon him, hanging there in complete nakedness, and says, the ultimate pronouncement, it is finished. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't wink after that. He either paid for all of your sins or none of your sins. That's the gospel in a nutshell. What Jesus did on the cross really finished everything that God the Father required for the forgiveness of your sins or you're still dead in your sins. Even a defibrillator will not bring you to the point of spiritual life that you must have that only comes with the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, you must be born again. No means of modern technological equipment, medical equipment can do what only God can do by the Holy Spirit when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ. You need a deliverer. I need a deliverer. We need somebody like Moses, even greater than Moses, to come. And so the people were looking for the ultimate deliverer, not even understanding with hindsight the way we do today what type of deliverance they really needed what that would totally look like, but that's why Jesus comes on the scene to deliberately say things that he said, to do them in a strategically, purposeful, intentional way so that, yes, he was speaking the language of the people if the people woke up and paid attention to what God had said to them before. Yes, he was speaking on behalf of God, that to hear the words of the Son, Jesus, was to hear the words of the Father who sent Jesus. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, anybody that looks at me sees my Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus was purposefully, intentionally speaking the language of his heavenly Father, the language of the followers of God, that they should have caught him, they should have understood, and we'll see in a moment that they did begin to get an understanding. But first, first we go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 17. You say, well, Mike, if we're talking about Jesus, why are we spending so much time in the Old Testament today? Why are we not even starting with the, the gospel account here? Why are we in the Old Testament? Because the clearest way to understand the New Testament is to get a firm grip and understanding of the Old Testament. In Jesus' day, there was no New Testament. There was the Old Testament. All of the teachings of the prophets and the Psalms The scriptures pointed to Jesus, and we do well today to understand the Old Testament better so that when we read the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 7, they have such a, a chutzpah, a gravitas behind them that his words become even more unforgettable. In 1 Kings chapter 17, this is the story of Elijah, where Elijah comes across a widow, a woman who had lost her husband with her only child, and the woman has a little bit of flour in a container and a little bit of oil in a jar. And Elijah says, hey, how about sharing a little bit of that with me? And the woman says, you don't understand. It's all I have. I'm not a prepper. I don't have... Pound after pound of flour, I don't have 50 gallon drums of olive oil to share with you. I've just got a little bit here to make a little bit for myself and a little bit for my son. Don't you understand I've got these sticks here to make a fire? We're going to cook the flour, eat the little morsel that we have, and then die. Elijah says, no. No. Not if you put your faith in God. See, God knows your need. He knows your lack. He knows your want. He knows how your cup is half empty. If you will go to him and trust him and rely upon him, you will see that he will fill your cup to overflowing. And so what happens is the flour didn't run out and the oil didn't run out and the widow was able to feed herself and her son for many days and everything seems to be going wonderfully well. She's following God. God has performed a miracle on her behalf and and behalf of her only son and things seem to be going incredibly well until in verse 17, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill. Uh Uh-oh. I thought when I followed God and obeyed him, everything would go perfectly flawlessly well. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. He could use a defibrillator. He's died. He bit the big one. Now, this is a problem because the woman is no longer married, she's a widow. This is her only son. She's by herself. She's been impoverished, insult to injury. And she said to Elijah, what what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She gets angry. She falls into the same trap that you and I fall into. If I follow God, I will be spared of hardship and difficulty. No, if you follow God, God will be glorified. That is the issue you must settle in your life. The purpose of you following God is not to have a life of comfort and convenience. The purpose of following God is that God might be glorified regardless of what's happening in your life. You have got to settle that issue for yourself. The purpose of your life is to give glory to God. You don't follow God because he's going to help you avoid difficulty and hardship. Sometimes God will lead you into difficulty and hardship because the more hardship and difficulty you go through. Listen, the more hardship and difficulty you go through, the greater the glory of God once you go through it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We forget that God does not take us oftentimes around the valley of the shadow of death. He takes us directly through it. So the woman is struggling just like we struggle. I thought... My life was supposed to go better. Now my my son has died. What's going on? You're the man of God. God's supposed to be speaking through you. This is not supposed to happen. This does not compute. And he said to her, verse 19, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And basically, Elijah makes himself ceremonially unclean by touching a corpse. But God is in the business of doing things above and beyond what we think when we limit him. Elijah was sent by God and called by God, understood that God was about to do something and he wasn't going to let his natural uncleanliness, spiritual uncleanliness in a natural realm deprive God of a witness. Verse 20, and he cried to the Lord, Elijah cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? See, Elijah was not God himself. He didn't understand everything completely. He was just walking in obedience to God. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. How's that for what the book of James says? Elijah was a man just like us. He had faith and he called out to God. And what happens? What happens? The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. You remember that the next time you're calling upon the Lord when you need him to resurrect the dead in your own life. Ours is the God, the God of the Bible, the living and true God is a God who makes dead things live. He makes the things that are not things that now can be. He's the God who does the impossible when you are committed to his glory. You need to cross over to the point of when you're committed, when you're sold out for the glory of God, no matter what the consequences are, and then you'll see God move in your life like you've never seen before. It's not that we ask God to move on our lives on our behalf. It's that we are asking and pleading with God. Oh God, give me the opportunity to give you glory above my own mortality, above my own needs and concerns and passions and desires. Let my desires and my concerns and the consuming fire of my life be your glory when you cross over and that's what you're about. Your life becomes about the life of God, the glory of God. You begin to see God do mighty, powerful, God-sized, humanly impossible things in your life. Many of us are bored. We're asleep in the journey of life because our vision is too small. God's vision is bigger than your vision. Way bigger than your vision. God's vision is bigger than all of our visions combined because it's wrapped up in a glory that we don't totally understand. And one day we'll see him face to face if we know Jesus as our Savior. God's glory is bigger than the things you've been struggling with in the course of your life this week. You understand what God is saying? God wants your life revolving around not a thing, a person. His name is Jesus, the embodiment of all wisdom, the wisdom of the ages, everything that's good and pure, the word that became flesh. God wants your life revolving around his glory, pointing other people to the glory of God. And when you cross over to being that committed to the glory of God, no matter what comes against you, you will see God raise the dead. You will see God get the glory. You will become a witness for God like never before. Look at this, verse 23. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, see? Elijah said, see, your son lives. And look at the woman's response. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth you know all around us are signs men we struggle with it because we don't pay attention to the road signs in our life we get in trouble that's one of the main reasons why God gives us a spouse to help us pay attention to the road signs so when we get lost our spouse nudges us and reminds us hey you just missed the exit and we try to act sophisticated about it. no I didn't miss that I'm I, there's something down here that I wanted to take a look at <clears throat> All around us are signs that point us in directions and here we understand very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 17, we understand that the purpose of a miraculous move of God, a miraculous sign of wonder, is to be literally a sign pointing people to God, not the deliverer, not the one, humanly speaking, who's performing the sign. It'd be like you being enamored with the road sign as you're driving down Interstate 83. Wow! That color green is mesmerizing. We've got to get that, honey. Can you see our living room with that color green? I mean, look at that. And maybe with that type of a white trim surrounding the green, that would just be mesmerizing. How about in our master bedroom? Can you see our whole house painted with Who would be enamored with a road sign? The road sign, the purpose of the road sign is to point you to the sign giver. That's why miraculous signs and wonders happen. And that's why now it is appropriate for us to look at Luke chapter seven. And now when we look at Luke chapter seven, it's like a hot knife through butter. Now that we understand Deuteronomy chapter 18 and what the people of that day were looking for, now that we understand this story of Elijah, the man of God sent by God who raises the widow's son, now when we look at Luke chapter 7, verse 11. We understand this passage of Scripture with much more clarity. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a great crowd went with him. You see, Nain was about 20 to 25 miles from Capernaum. Jesus had just healed the servant of a centurion. And now with great specificity, Jesus travels. Some translations say it was the next day. Others say soon afterward, like the ESV says. We know that if it was soon afterward, or certainly if it was the next day, it would have been a significant trek to go 20 to 25 miles. Jesus is deliberately making his way to this particular small town that most of us in our knowledge of the Bible don't think twice about, the little town of Nain. Have you heard of that lately? We know about Nazareth. We know about Bethlehem. We know about Capernaum. But Nain, why would Jesus go 20 to 25 miles unless he was about to do something that would point people to his own identity, point people to something that they needed to know about him? And here it is. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The man's dead. The only son of his mother and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. This is a large group of people. The disciples are following Jesus and now there's a large crowd because this is a funeral procession and the person would have been laid on a board called a beer, not drinking beer, called a beer. They would have been laying on this. You can still see this today. If you watch uh, funeral processions in the Middle East, somebody's on this board. Sometimes it has handles. The person is wearing clean clothes. The person is wearing covered with a sheet of some sort. Times haven't changed a whole lot. And there's a funeral procession. People are mourning. The man had died, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Hmm, deja vu considerable crowd from the town was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Don't weep. Jesus intentionally making his way to this particular town that otherwise would be forgettable. about to say something and do something that's absolutely unforgettable, and you and I are beneficiaries of it today here in the 21st century. Verse 14, then he came up, made himself ceremonially unclean by touching the beer. That's what he did. He came up and touched the beer, and the bearers stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, rise. See, in the natural realm, they were looking at things from the human perspective. The guy's dead. He's already been washed ceremonially. His eyes have been closed. They probably would have wrapped something around his head because when somebody dies, the tendency is for the mouth to keep opening. When my mother passed away, I was by her bedside. My mother knew Christ as her savior. And when I was at the bedside and my mother breathed her last, eventually her mouth began to open. You see, back in Jesus' day, they didn't have crazy glue that they use in funeral homes today to keep the mouth. I know it sounds kind of morbid, doesn't it? That's what they use. They use a crazy glue substance to keep the mouth shut so that when you're watching, when you go up for the viewing, the mouth doesn't pop open. That began to happen to my mother. As she had just passed away, her mouth began to open, and I lovingly, gently pushed my mother's chin up to close her mouth and remove my hand and gradually her mouth opened again. And I did this several times until it became quicker and quicker. Her mouth would just continue to open and I realized that not much I could do. That's what happens when people die and in the first century they would have been familiar with that. They would have known that this person was dead, not just in a deep sleep. It wasn't that this guy lacked REM sleep and had a long night, pulled an all-nighter. This guy was dead. He's on the board. They're taking him for the funeral procession. His mother doesn't have a husband that she can lean on, doesn't have any other children that she can lean on. She's a widow. Jesus says, I say to you, arise. When Jesus tells you to do something, it doesn't matter what you're seeing in the natural realm. When Jesus tells you, you obey Jesus, period. End of discussion. I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began speaking, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Deja vu. Fear seized all of them. They recognized that this is not a normal funeral procession. They recognized that this is not business as usual. They glorified God. The miraculous sign is literally something that points them to God. That's what happens when a true miracle occurs. People look to God. They glorified God saying, interestingly enough, a great prophet has arisen among us. Deuteronomy 18, perhaps, on their minds and their hearts. A great prophet, perhaps, the great prophet, maybe since he has caused this dead person to come to life, maybe there's something else he might have to say that we would want to listen to. And then they said, God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Jesus is either a liar or a lunatune. tune, or he really is Lord, making his way 20 to 25 miles down from Capernaum to the city or the town of Nain to resurrect a widow's son, only son from the dead, knowing that there was a huge crowd around, knowing that the people would have been clamoring at him, knowing that this would be news in the original social media, word of mouth knowing that people would be talking about him, knowing that people would have been drawing attention to him if Jesus was just a moral person and the people had come to this conclusion that God had visited us, that God has visited us, if that was the people's conclusion and Jesus didn't intend for them to come to that conclusion, he would have had a moral obligation to set the record straight. Jesus is speaking in a language that the people could understand. He is being intentional. He is drawing attention to himself. Make no bones about it. Why didn't Jesus say it more clearly, 21st century people? Do you know what? We need to understand that Jesus was speaking abundantly with tremendous clarity. It is we who are so unfamiliar with the ways of God who need to understand how God speaks and how God talks. And when we become familiar, With this Bible, such a book that man couldn't write if he would, wouldn't write if he could. When we become familiar with the word of God, we will begin to have clarity over the teachings of Jesus like never before. We will begin to have clarity about the ways of God like never before because that's what it's there for. God gave us this book that we could read this book. Not so that we could just memorize scripture. Not so that we could just impress people with what we know, but so that we could draw near to God and know him. Know him intimately, Jeremiah the prophet said, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. You want to understand God? You want to know God? You get familiar with the God of his word who keeps his word. You make it your ambition in life to understand the word of God. Understand the Old Testament as you read the New Testament so that you'll understand that when we get to Luke chapter 7 and other parts of Luke's gospel as we're on this amazing journey together through this book, you will understand that Jesus was speaking with tremendous deliberate intentionality purposefully saying the right thing at the right time, doing the right thing at the right time to have the right impact, the maximum impact, so that all eyes are on him. He's no liar. If he was a liar, you can't explain the miracles. If he was a lunatic, you still can't explain the miracles. If he was just a morally upright person, you can't explain him not setting the record straight if the people were getting it wrong. Instead, Jesus doesn't correct them at all. Jesus doesn't say a word, excuse me, you're taking me out of context, excuse me. Jesus just lets it stand right there with I think an appropriate wink saying, you've got it. Now you're getting it. Now there's some serious momentum going. The people are talking about Jesus. They're understanding who Jesus is and they're coming to life.
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible teaching podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.